welcome to TMA Talks, where we talk all things TMA. Today on TMA Talks, we have the privilege and honor of talking with economist Dr. Brian Bolio, CEO of ITR Economics and this year's TMA Distressed Investors Conference keynote speaker. The Distressed Investors Conference will take place at the Wynn Hotel in Las Vegas on February 6th through 8th. If you have not registered, please do so. Go to tma.org for more information. Thanks for joining today, uh, Dr. Bolio. My pleasure, Scott. Thank you very much for having me, and I'm looking forward to the meeting in uh, February in Vegas. We're excited for your keynote, uh, but for our members today, we wanted to give them a chance to get to know you a little bit ahead of the conference. So uh, why don't you give us just a little bit about you, about, about the man behind the knowing everything about the world economy? <laughs> well, I've been doing this. Um, all told for about 37 years now and uh, every year I learn a little bit more which is one of the great reasons to keep on doing it as a matter of fact um, as you can imagine over the course of almost four decades you meet a lot of different situations a lot of different people uh, how they make decisions good or bad and you make some observations along the way and I think some of those observations are going to be particularly applicable to the audience in February um, other than that, uh, I'm, I'm, I have six grandchildren, a wonderful wife, four daughters, so I'm used to being on the go. Written three books, co-authored three books with my brother, and we're working on our fourth one in 2019. that will be out in 2020. I would ask you what you do in your spare time, but it sounds like there's not very much of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, my wife and I are avid tennis players, and we enjoy going sailing as well. Ah, very nice. And you are up in New England, so uh, lots of lots of sailing, I presume, up there. Our home is in Naples, Florida, Scott. It's not oh, in it is? New England. Right. Oh. And the, the office is in New England, so uh, I uh, commute up there, and that's where the kids and the grandkids are, so we go up there fairly frequently. But our home is Naples, Florida, proving yet again that I'm smarter than the average bear. Yes, absolutely, and a beautiful place to be. So lots of things are happening in our global economy right now. Tell us kind of very high level what you're seeing and what 2019 from a global perspective looks like from your perspective. 2019 is going to be a, a year that um, is going to create stresses for uh, many businesses, particularly those that are uh, trade-related um, Speaking about from the European, Chinese, and U.S. perspective right now, and Japan, of course. Um, one of the dominant trends, and, and we're going to see this come to light in 2019, that we're going to be contending with for quite some time, is the world has shifted away from globalization, is moving ever more toward nationalism, bilateral trade agreements, um, me first. It's all about my country, and you see that from President Trump to Brexit to the president of Italy, Chancellor of Austria, um, what's going on in China, and the president-elect in Brazil. It's all trending toward me first, um, my country, my interest above all else. And that's going to create inefficiencies. It always has. It's put through the economic record. Uh, there are always winners or, and losers in it. If there weren't winners, the politicians would never be in favor of it. But the inefficiencies that that creates, um, not only in 19, but for the coming decade, are going to rewrite some of the rule books in terms of what companies 
they're going to be able to make it, what companies are going to have an increasingly difficult time making it in the future. Very interesting perspective. Where people are looking at globalization, you're kind of breaking it down that people are becoming more nationalistically oriented, which leads me to my next question. Our members are very deal-driven, and special situations to them provide opportunity. Any sectors you think that people should keep their eye on uh, that either have cracks or might uh, face troubled waters in 2019 in more obvious ways than in this past year and years past during this period of prolonged prosperity? I think the cracks are going to show for companies that are relatively labor-intensive here in the U.S., for instance, uh, the labor shortage that we're facing and is quite acute in, in manufacturing is not going to go away. So even though the, the global economy and the U.S. economy are both slowing down in their rising trends in 2019, that the pain of that labor shortage is not going to go away. And that's going to require um, capital being deployed, automation being employed at a time when the profitability that has driven the stock market or has been driving the stock market higher is not universally shared. And you're going to find some cracks uh, developing because companies are going to be unable to protect their balance sheets while they're deploying the capital they need to to remain competitive in a tight labor market. And that's the overriding scenario for the next several years. And something very interesting that you said in there. So we talk about a, a tight labor market. Uh, at the same time, there's a lot of uh, fear, if you will, around disruptive technology and uh, and automation, whether it be uh, factory-type automation or disruptive technology that's going to take people out of the workforce as we get into, let's say, self-driving trucks. Uh, even though we have a tight uh, labor market right now, do you see disruptive technology and automation impacting in a negative way the economy, if not next year, in the next five years? It will impact in a negative way at a very micro level. It will negatively impact some of the drivers, some of the workers that theoretically um, will not be able to get that job or will lose their job because they've been replaced by that disruptive technology. But uh, they're on the margin. And, and I know we have to care, we have to look, but when you look at the uh, macro perspective, this has to happen. Uh, Joseph Schumpeter, a very famous economist of, you know, past, coined the phrase creative destruction. Without creative destruction, we will not progress. We will not see the standard of living continue to rise. This is an absolutely necessary part of capitalism. And to fight it is um, foolishness. Yes, um, there may be some truck driver positions that are going to be filled with AI or with self-driving trucks. But that doesn't mean we're not going to have a need for those people in other functions and they can't be trained to fill other roles uh, and other satisfying job occupations just because they're not a truck driver, just because they're not operating that uh, welding uh, torch and the robotic is doing it doesn't mean we are not going to need them. My gosh, you look at the, the job openings for manufacturing in this country today and, and you realize that GM laying off 14,000 people, um, not all of which will be in manufacturing. That's a drop in the bucket. It makes the headlines. It gets people wringing their hands, but uh, I have very little tolerance for thinking that that's going to shape the course of our economy. Uh, indeed, I think it's 
creates turmoil in the short term, but it's a good long-term signal that we're willing to do that. And that's a good point. But something very interesting in what you just said, we've been in such a prolonged period of prosperity that a ripple in, a ripple in the water seems like a tsunami to many. Does that kind of mentality, that kind of thought process, since people have not had to navigate the smallest bit of chop in over a decade, uh, going to be impactful in terms of how we, how we react to things that are small yet might become large just by perception? Yes, historically, under these circumstances, people will tend to overreact on the one side and others will be... Uh, extrapolating the past and say, well, it's not really going to happen or it won't be any pain at all. And when they get that paper cut, then they're really shocked and they overreact to the paper cut. That's the wonderful thing about um, economics and our companies. They're run by people who are um, prone to be spoilers one way or the other. And that's why if you can see the future first, you know how to prepare mentally and financially and you can take advantage of it. I think... Um, you're going to see some distress along those lines, Scott, over the next two years because people are not going to have their balance sheets ready for the softening that's coming in the economy. Um, they've just been mentally extrapolating the last 10 years and thinking, okay, everything's going to be fine, and they've been ill-positioning their balance sheet. Just like, you know, how individual investors sometimes, uh, not sometimes, they have a very strong tendency to get very bullish on the market at the very top. Businesses have a tendency to do that also, and that's where the opportunities lie um, in terms of restructuring, in terms of uh, following those firms, because those balance sheets eventually show some pretty wide cracks. And many of our members are focused on corporate health, kind of like the uh, the checkup you get every year and something that hasn't been necessarily in the inner fabric of the restructuring corporate renewal world in the past, but has become more important now for the very reasons that you just uh, you just laid out in response to the last question. Hey, a global economy says we have to think globally, notwithstanding your view that we're moving towards more nationalistic economies. Uh, are there things happening in both the U.S. and abroad, whether it be Brexit, uh, the trade war, et cetera, that you think people should keep an eye on that may affect our own economy in 2019? Yes. Um, I'm not sure businesses in the U.S. have been following closely enough the shift of manufacturing out of China, for instance. Uh, I find people are still too focused on what's going on in China and they're not aware that manufacturing is slowly but surely leaving China to reestablish itself in Thailand, Cambodia, and other places where labor is plentiful, relatively well-educated, and cheaper than in China, without all the uh, regulatory hassles being created by virtue of the trade disagreements and China's renewed self-interest as expressed in foreign money to state-owned enterprises at the expense of the free market aspect of China. That's an interesting trend and one that I'd like to see more businesses taking advantage of. In 2019 and 2020. So would you consider this the the unusual part of what this next cycle is, is going to be about? I think the unusual part of this cycle is also going to be the dramatic movement in share prices um, 
relative to the economy. We expect the economy is not going to be moving into a dramatic down phase of the cycle, nonetheless a down phase of the cycle. Whereas the stock market, particularly if you look at the VIX, the uncertainty surrounding the financial markets right now are extreme, and it's hard for at least me to separate the uh, economic uncertainty from the political uncertainty from the global uncertainty. And that's going to create um, a bit of a disconnect between what's real and what's not real. As uh, uh, not real, I mean, most businesses aren't going to live and die about what's happening to the S&P 500. Yet that's what makes headline news. You know, when it goes down on 500 points, it's talked about as if the world is coming to an end, when it really isn't coming to an end for the vast majority of businesses. It just is changing the tone and tenor of conversation more than anything else. That sounds like a very practical and pragmatic approach to uh, our economy, something that um, <laughs> something that uh, the headlines out there sometimes don't grasp in such a sane way. Um, <laughs> one last question. Many of our TMA professionals have learned to expect the unexpected. What, if anything, is the wild card out there that our corporate renewal professionals might might want to focus on or might be out there, but they're just not focusing on. And as you know, the, the genesis of this question is, you know, when uh, when the subprime market broke, it was uh, it was right in front of everybody's face, but no one was willing to face that it was going to be so impactful in a negative way on, on our economy. And I'm certainly not intimating there's anything that dramatic out there, but it's always the unexpected that ultimately defines any particular cycle, uh, market cycle and economic cycle. Anything out there that, you think uh, the you'd classify as the unexpected to be watched out for? You're, you're essentially asking if we have identified any black swans that we should be on the uh, watch for. Almost by definition, you can't spot those very well in advance. Uh, so I need to draw it in a little bit nearer term uh, and answer your question this way. Um, it's, from, it's in the volatility. The answer is in the volatility, and whether that's the S&P 500 or closer to uh, most businesses um, at oil prices. The volatility in oil prices has been amazing, and that is indicative of how much liquidity is, there is out there and how it is able to slosh, as I think of it, from one side of the boat to the next. In this case, the boat that I imagine is an oil tanker. There are going to be other opportunities. There are going to be other threats like that because of this liquidity function and where that next, what that next ship has on its hull or name. I haven't figured out yet, but it's going to be an asset class um, that will be the next darling, and we'll see it go up dramatically, and then we'll see it come down in a very short period of time also. It, that makes them hard to spot in advance and makes it hard to capitalize on because, say, Come and go almost as fast as you can identify it within a matter of 12 months. It's, it's passed. Thank you so much for that. And thank you, Dr. Brian Bolio. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today, and we look forward to what will no doubt be an engaging and insightful keynote, the TMA Distressed, and, uh, Distressed Investor Conference in February. Really, really looking forward to uh, seeing you there and uh, engaging you further on all of these very exciting topics.